Welcome to On the Job with Porak, your go-to place for public safety and officer rights, giving you the news you need to know and discussing the issues that matter. Hi, and welcome to another episode of On the Job with Porak. I'm Brian Marvel, president of Porak. With me is Porak Vice President Damon Kurtz. And today we have a special guest, our legislative advocate extraordinaire, Randy Perry of Aaron Reed and Associates, to discuss potential legislation geared towards law enforcement. I'd say in the last 10 days, uh, we've had about 20 bills drop in relation to public safety. I think our elected officials have, uh, they're riding the wave right now. They're riding the wave and they're all trying to outdo each other with legislation. Um, unfortunately, we can't do all 20 of the bills. So we're choosing four of them, which we think all our members should definitely know about. And we're going to go ahead and start off with our first bill, AB 1022 by Assemblymember Holden. This is a use of force bill. I'll let Randy talk a little bit about this and maybe have some discussion with all three of us on what this means and uh, how we move forward from here. It sounds good. So I think what I'll do is uh, I just wrote kind of some bullets on each one and then we can discuss them. Um, so AB 1022 by Assemblymember Holden, African-American member out of uh, LA area. Uh, the bill requires officers to intercede and report use of force uh, that they feel is excessive. We'll talk about that. Uh, our bill that we co-sponsored with other law enforcement groups, SB 230 from last year, already required that policies include and training include uh, officers stepping in if they deem that another officer is indeed using excessive force. And we'll discuss the problems with, that, that can occur there. The bill also redefines excessive force to deal with that, what they've called this proportional test where if the force goes beyond what is deemed proportional for the action that's occurring or the crime they feel is committed, then anything above that is now excessive. It removes an officer's ability to be a peace officer if they violate any part of this bill three times. So it, it, for the first time, it completely says you can't be a cop, and it's not under current law, which is only a felony. And then lastly, it makes any officer who violates this bill a principal in any criminal action that occurs from it. In other words, if an officer fails to step in and later it's deemed that the officer who was committing using the force, that it was excessive, they file it, make it a crime now as excessive force. And the officer who was standing by and didn't step in is just as complicit in that crime, is part of the crime. So, I mean, this bill goes way beyond anything that's national, anything that we've negotiated in the past. So on the first issue, I mean, an officer failing to intercede, we've done that. They define the proportional stuff. I mean, here's the issue that we talked about last year. We talked about a lot of times an officer will roll onto a scene and maybe there's two or three officers already on the ground wrestling with someone and they're either using a taser, or they're using their knife, whatever it takes. Well, that officer may not even know what's occurred prior to them arriving at that scene. They could have shot, arrested, could have shot at the officers. Maybe they have firearm or a weapon that's pinned underneath them and they're trying to get their arms out from so they can get the, the weapon. The officer, the point is the officer rolling up that scene likely will not have any idea what has occurred if they're the second or the third car rolling up. 
So for them not to intercede, they don't know if that's excessive because they don't know the purport. Even if you define it as proportionality, they don't know what has occurred and why, why it's all going down. I look a lot of these bills that we're looking at is they're taking the criminal's point of view. And when I say that in regards to uh, they're holding the criminal much higher than the police officer, uh, it's really unfortunate to see a group of legislatures who continually side with the criminal element of society and not the people that are trying to keep the peace in the communities, keep people safe. I would wonder if Holden has even gone through a use of force simulator. I wonder if he has even gone through use of force policies and had a demonstration on the use of the taser on a beanbag. You know, I, I think those are important things that our elected officials should go through. And, and you brought up some very valid points. You have officers rolling up to the scene uh, who have no idea what occurred prior to it, but yet Assemblymember Holden is now going to hold all of these officers accountable for actions that they're rolling up to, and they're having to make a determination on what they're seeing. I just think it's patently unfair. I think it's 2020 hindsight. The Supreme Court has emphatically stated we cannot judge these actions of these officers by hindsight because they have the luxury of sitting at the Capitol thinking about all of these grandiose ideas, this utopia that they're looking for, and not actually having to experience any of this stuff that happens on the street. I mean, we're seeing the decimation in Chicago, New York, Baltimore. I mean, the rise in violent crime in those cities is just astronomical. I mean, Chicago's on the verge of over 600 homicides this year, 600 murders. You know, what's funny, Brian, is they are, uh, they, they're attributing that in New York and so it to COVID and that people are pent up and that, but it has nothing to do with depolicing. You know, it's an interesting paradigm shift we have in this country right now where, where you're talking about where the, uh, the perspective of the, um, the arrestee is taking a place, but not the officers who are making the arrest. The actions that led up to that contact are no longer part of the context. There's this idea that there's an epidemic of law enforcement officers just running around and randomly selecting someone walking down the street and a use of force ensues. I think all of us in this room or in law enforcement are okay with someone who has gone over and above on the use of force that they're held accountable. But at some point, we still have to have the conversation about what led up to that use of force and why that encounter happened in the first place. And it shouldn't just exonerate that person from what led up to the contact. They still should be held accountable for it. doesn't mean the officer shouldn't be held accountable, but they, we definitely shouldn't be looking the other way. We're in this element right now where, you know, I think if you're looking for the negative, you can find that. I think if that's what everyone wants to focus on, then they can find that. It doesn't matter what profession, whether it's a teaching profession or, you know, in the medical profession, if you want to find the negatives in there, it's there for you to find and you can magnify it and you can show it to everybody and try to create, basically say, hey, there's a problem. But I don't know the problem is as bad as they're they're laying it out to be. And, you know, we're always here willing to kind of have those conversations and work through these issues. But I think it's being grossly misrepresented in the media. And then our legislature is obviously jumping on the bandwagon to try to take advantage of this. The general public's the one that's going to pay in the end. So that's a bad bill. Porak is opposed. And we'll go after this bill. There's nothing we can negotiate on this bill. The next bill is AB 1652 by Buffy Wicks. She's out of Richmond area. So this bill requires use of force policies to include guidelines for the use of kettling or corralling by officers when dealing with protesters and the like. The second part of the bill prohibits an officer from covering or removing their badge at any time 
while on duty. I don't know if that would cover the use of the black band when an officer has been killed in line of duty. It also prohibits an officer from using force on a member of the press or anyone else who is lawfully protesting. But at what point is the lawful or unlawful you know, made? It, do, it doesn't say that in this bill. And then for the first time, and probably the worst part of this bill, is for the first time legislation says that an officer will be suspended for violating any part of this bill. The legislature doesn't tell the employer how to discipline an employee. This bill would for the same, it would say automatic suspension for a violation of this bill. Another misguided bill. Uh, again, it places all the blame of these protests that have gone bad uh, on law enforcement. We know for a fact that there are factions, and they always have been, the Black Bloc, any of these anarchist-type groups who go into the otherwise peaceful movements and try to create them become violent. And how are we supposed to deal with those situations so they continue to take the tools away? Even to the point where, you know, covering things up. You're working standard patrol and you're out there and you have a brass name tag and your badge on and you have to go into a, a crowd control situation. You often have to take those off because they get ripped off your uniform. You don't take them off because you're trying to hide who you are. You, they, they're going to get ripped off your uniform. You're not going to have them and somebody else is going to have your badge. Those are the reasons behind that. And so this idea that, oh, we're going to, you know, outlaw you be able to take your badge off. You know, what I think they want us to do is just stand down. And, and I don't know if that's the right way to go. I mean, how do we able to protect our communities if we just stand down? But that seems to be the message that we're getting overall. Well, they're they're comfortable with the protesters destroying downtown, but they probably wouldn't be as comfortable if they destroyed the neighborhood that they lived in. And I just read recently, I guess there's a federal bill now that's going to hold mayors accountable for destruction to uh, private property within cities. So here we are. We're the political football between our federal government and our local and state government in regards to having to deal with these protesters. And I think Damon hit it on the head. You know, vast majority of the protesters are peaceful. They want to express their opinions, which they have an absolute right to. But you have those individuals like the Black Bloc and the anarchists who embed themselves in these peaceful protesters and they just ramp things up. And it becomes a very tenuous situation for law enforcement who we are charged with trying to keep the peace and make sure that the protesters have a place to be able to express their opinions. So this will be an interesting bill. I just want to add, and then we'll move to the next bill, that this is another situation also where the bill would hold the individual officer liable, responsible. They remove their badge and like, even though we have to remember, officers are sent into the situation and are directed by management. They are told by their employer when to go in, when to deploy, how to deploy. If they tell you to remove your badge, if they tell you to do other things, this doesn't say that an agency shall not instruct their officers to remove their badge or shall not do, you know, they don't. They say any officer who does any of these things while part of crowd control or protest shall be held liable for this and shall be suspended. So these are the kind of things I think that we need to educate legislators on how it truly works. And there are probably solutions to some of this stuff that we can work with them on, but we haven't been approached on any of these bills to help them, you know, to ask questions. How would this work? How would that work? 
Yeah, and we've we've reached out. We are pounding on the door to be at the table to talk to these individuals. We have sent letters. We've written op-eds. We've been on radio shows. Here we are on this podcast. We're letting all of the legislatures in the state of California and the federal know that PORAC is here. We have the expertise and knowledge to help them craft legislation that would work. But all I'm seeing is a bunch of elected leaders putting the onus on police and deputies and public safety officers. We're responsible for everything. There's no onus on the other person. You know, it's like you have a conversation. There's two people involved in that. And when it comes to a contact with law enforcement, there's two people involved in that. And nothing is saying, hey, you know what? Maybe the other side, maybe the person that the officer is in contact should be civil and respectful and not try to injure or destroy the police officer or a private property. Let's go on to uh, Assembly Bill 1709 by Assemblywoman Weber out of San Diego. Well, this bill is offensive on its face because Dr. Weber actually adds in some things that we negotiated with her just last year on her AB 392. The ACLU sponsored AB 392 last year. I have been told that the ACLU is not the sponsor of 1709 this year, that it's Dr. Weber herself, which to me is offensive because the bill does a couple of things. It removes the rule that an officer need not retreat due to the threat and resistance of an arrestee. In other words, we had said that an officer doesn't have to retreat if there's threat. Her bill, 392 last year, said that an officer should de-escalate and then went down to define de-escalation. And one of the definitions of de-escalation or in the definition was repositioning, which is basically retreat. So last year's bill, if you didn't retreat, you had the opportunity to just back off and let that person go and maybe reposition where you could go arrest them later at their house or whatever, then you could be held liable if something happened to that person or they went down the street in their car and T-boned somebody and killed them. You could be held criminally liable. So in, in those negotiations last year, we successfully had them remove that out of the definition of de-escalate, the, the re- tactical repositioning and, and the like, and also said that an officer does not have to retreat, that they can, if it's a dangerous situation, they can still go in, that person's resisting, can still go in and make the arrest. And if anything occurred from that, they would not be held liable for that. She adds all of that back in. And so, I mean, the bill, her bill has only been in effect six months. Very disappointing to uh, see this, especially after all of the negotiations we did last year, coming to an agreement in a sense that we would go neutral on the bill. Uh, There was a lot of hard work put in by a lot of groups that sat at the table to have these conversations and then to to have her introduce this. I'm just going to label it now. It's a cop killer bill. That's exactly what it is. She's basically stating that we have to do everything in our power to control a situation. But yet, if that person wants to fight us or use deadly force against us, we're somehow need to retreat, run away or get shot or killed so this person can escape because they don't like or she doesn't like the force that's going to be used to take somebody into into custody. I think this just puts us at a huge disadvantage. I, I this, is, this is such a deadly bill for law enforcement. If this bill makes it through, I would recommend that officers no longer respond to calls. 
because you are completely jeopardizing yourself, your family, your livelihood, everything over a bill that could kill you. I just, I just think this is terrible. I'm surprised that this even saw the light of day, considering what we went through over the last year and a half. Gives you two choices, I or go to prison. Yeah, so we're approaching uh, the pro tem's office. Uh, the pro tem, Tony Atkins, Senator Tony Atkins, the ones who basically negotiated with us or, or, or sponsored the negotiations between us. And we've already reached out to her attorney to let her know that we're very disappointed in this. The final bill, uh, SB 731 by Senator Steve Bradford. This bill's huge. I mean, it includes everything. It's sponsored by the ACLU and Black Lives Matter. And it is just, it encompasses everything. I'll just briefly, a couple of the main bullets. It states very broadly that any violation by a public employee, I think it's through threat, intimidation, coercion of anyone's civil rights. So if you have, you're protesting and things are getting out of hand and you step in on that or any, any civil rights that are deemed a violation of someone's civil rights, you lose your immunity. As an individual, your agency loses immunity, the city and county loses immunity, civil immunity. So an officer will now be able to be sued for perhaps even an action that they were told to go do by the employer. This is personal immunity that a lawsuit uh, uh, officer loses. Second thing, this now makes the post certificate a license, which is revocable and it lists about 20 things that it can be revoked for. And so right now under current law, if you are a felon, you cannot be a peace officer in California, but that's it. Other things, you can be disciplined, you can be fired. You may not ever be hired again because of something you were fired for, sexual abuse, something like that. It's all made public because of 1421 from Skinner last year. But this bill makes the post certificate a license that's revocable and has numerous, numerous reasons for an officer to lose her license and never be a cop in California again. It does a lot of other things, but those are the two main biggies. Those are bad enough. Yeah, the qualified immunity is obviously a big issue here in the state, but also on the national level. And, you know, part of the irony in, is, in this is that our elected leaders in Sacramento have absolute immunity. So when they pass bills, you know, and you become a victim because they let a criminal out, they can't be sued. But yet here, they want to take away all our qualified immunity for keeping our community safe and peaceful. I don't even know what to say. It's just ridiculous. They, they have ultimate immunity for creating those laws. And then they want to take our immunity away for enforcing the laws that they create. Remember, we have qualified immunity in the first place. That means that, and if an officer is grossly negligent, they can be sued. Yes. They can go to prison now. We're okay. seeing that, obviously. They can go to prison. They'll be criminally liable and can go to prison, but they can also be sued if they are. Now, they're usually not sued personally because the, there's no deep pocket there, right? I mean, they're going, you know, they're going to sue the, the city, county, the agency, but they can still be sued now. This mob rule right now, what's going on. And there's this idea that, that we have a judicial system. And, you know, I've, I've always said the wheels of justice, are slowly. it's just one of those things, but we have mob rules. So if an officer is, 
they see something on video or whatever, like Mr. Show, and I don't want to talk about him, but let's say him in particular, they want to string him up in the county square so they can come by and throw their own their stones. They don't want to let the judicial process go forward. And this qualified immunity is part of that. It's that part of that mob rule. We want our pound of flesh from that specific law enforcement officer. It's not just the agency. They want the deep pockets, but they want to get that pound of flesh from the officer. They want to ruin his life too. And, and that's just where it's going. And the concern I have is what of our most agencies, we get sued all the time. Our organizations are sued from the most mundane issues. And what does our agencies typically do? Our cities, our counties, they settle. They say, well, we'll just settle because it's cheaper. But what does the officer do? If he doesn't, he'll no longer has any qualified immunity, is he supposed to just pay out of pocket every time the city and the department settle a case that otherwise probably could have litigated and they could have been successful in, but it's too costly. So they choose to settle. It's a big issue, bigger than just this idea that we have immunity or no, don't have immunity. Yeah. And we're already seeing it. Uh, Colorado already changed their qualified immunity. Uh, where individual officers are liable of uh, 5% up to $25,000. I just read this morning, there's a bill out of New York that would require peace officers to actually purchase liability insurance, civil liability insurance. I mean, Damon hit it on the head. We literally have mob ruling right now and, and they want to exact every ounce of pain they can on peace officers based on a fraction of the work that officers do throughout the United States day in and day out. We can do a whole segment on the news media and how they are ramping this up. They're running out of talking heads that they're bringing in people that claim that they know about police contracts or police work, and they're just absolutely lying, flat out lying to the news media, to the public about our contracts, about police work. The news, some of the news media, they just eat that up and they throw it out. The amount of articles I've read in magazines and periodicals, uh, you know, hopefully uh, some rational people can start coming to the forefront. And it would be nice to see some elected officials actually stand up for us. But most of them are scurrying for cover. There's a few that are actually out there speaking on our behalf. And a lot of them, fortunately, came from law enforcement. You know, they're trying to set their colleagues straight, trying to educate them and try to educate the public. But, you know, right now their voices are being completely drowned out by the people that want to see dramatic changes. I would just say that overall, you guys have defined kind of what's out there. There are a lot of other bills you know, there's an expansion on 1421 that's out there. There are bills banning the carotid. There's a bill limiting and banning, banning these tear gas, limiting the use of less lethal projectiles for crowd control. So the stuff we talked about today is just a part of it. PORAC has developed a set of principles that they're finalizing right now that we will be putting out to everyone. And you guys have been involved on the national level where you're testifying nationally and the like. So I just think it's important to know that you guys are on top of this. You're in the middle of it. PORAC has reached out, like you said, Brian, to everyone and have asked to be involved. We can't bury our heads. We can't say no, no, no to change. This is happening and it's going to be with us or without us. And I think to do it well and to do it right, we need to be at the table to do it. We have a conversation with the governor today on it. I think we need to continue that. Well, I'm just a firm believer that reasonable people with rational solutions and ideas, people are going to fall in line and, and flock to those individuals. I think we're the reasonable people right now. I think we have some really good solutions, uh, not only here for the state of California, but for nationally. And uh, like you said, you know, we provided uh, testimony at the uh, House of Representatives Judicial Committee, the Senate Judicial Committee. I'm speaking on the Presidential Commission on Law Enforcement uh, later today, hopefully, and we'll get that out shortly to our membership 
ownership, what I said. But, you know, clearly uh, we have a message. We think it's reasonable. We think it's rational. We think it's a good direction that will keep officers safe, but also provide the safety and security that our communities need at this time. So I'll uh, close it up there. I want to thank everybody for joining us on this latest episode of On the Job with Porak. We hope you enjoyed it. We'd love to hear your ideas for upcoming episodes. Join us on all our social media platforms and be sure to tag us with your suggestions. Go to porak.org to learn more about California's law enforcement organization representing over 77,000 public safety members in over 920 associations. Make sure to check out and share our monthly podcasts and past episodes on porak.org, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, YouTube, or wherever available. Lastly, we'd like to say thank you to all our Porak members and our nation's law enforcement. Be safe and have a great day. That's it for this episode. Make sure you tune in next time as we discuss the issues that matter. 